God, we, we echo that prayer in our hearts and in our minds, God, that you would teach us how to decrease. Lord, that you may increase on the inside of our hearts and our minds. may decrease. God, we pray that our troubles may decrease, our anxieties may decrease. God, help us to see just how big you are in the midst of so many things that try to overwhelm and overtake us. God, fill us up. Fill us up with your Holy Spirit, God. Fill us up with the greater understanding of who you are, God. Fill us up just, Lord, because we need you. God, and we can be so distracted, so tormented by things that try to outweigh you in our lives. So may we know you more. May your Holy Spirit strengthen us. God, that we may be your children. God, that we may find our hope, our foundation, our strength in you and you alone. We love you. It's in your holy, precious name we pray. Everybody say with me, amen. 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 Well, good morning to you all. Man, oh, y'all talking this morning. Well, look at y'all. So proud of you. So proud of you. And singing. Yeah, she always got to point it back to the music. It's, uh, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. No. Um, so, man, so good to see you guys. Let me let you know about a couple of things. I know some of you all have been troubled uh, the past few weeks because it's been a little chilly in here. I want you to know that um, we've you know, we've done our part. It's just been um, an issue with the maintenance and coming and fixing that. So if you wouldn't mind, just for another week or so, continue to bundle up. Uh, one of the best ways that we can alleviate some of the coolness in the air is if you invite more people, you know, there'll be more warm bodies. <laughs> so I'm just saying, I'm just saying, more, more warm bodies. And so, um, but just want to let you know that we are working on that, so please continue to be patient with us. And uh, just thank God that it's not as cold as it was last week. Amen? Amen. So, um, so working on that. And um, before I forget, I want to make sure that we do this at the close of service. We want to lift up the Ness family, Pastor Matt uh, and his wife, and more importantly, his baby girl, Anna, uh, as she is uh, ill. And she's going to have to have surgery uh, this coming Tuesday. And so keep them in your hearts and minds and prayers. And we're going to, as a church family, pray for them and for Anna at the close. All right? All right, so don't, don't let us forget about that. Uh, but last week, uh, Matt did open up the door for where we're going to go these next couple of weeks. Uh, we are introducing you all sermonically to our theme for uh, 2017. Uh, Matt talked about that we have this hope, this dream that we would be able to see those things that we prayed about before the birth, the start of one church, and to see them actually come into fruition. And so uh, our theme is so, not S-O, but S-O-W. Somebody say so. so. 
I'm going to make you all say that 50 million times before I leave the stage today. So just prepare yourselves uh, to say so, you know, until it's time to go home. My goal is to make you go to work tomorrow saying so, school tomorrow saying so. I just want you to get it inside of your spirit as to what we are working towards. It means just three simple things. Angel alluded to it earlier. We're going to talk about today the story of God. And when you know the story of God, it impacts your outlook on life, on the world, and and all things essentially and that then it deals with your witness it impacts or affects your witness how you talk to people how you share with people and so for 2017 we're just going to talk about sowing the entire years different ways that we can learn that how we can live that out and that's what the videos and angels sharing today uh, we sow because God has sown into us through family scholar house by loving on those single parents who are trying to do the best that they can in order to give their families a better life We sow in the community down at 1212 uh, because we want to show a lot of the hopelessness that exists there, the God who is amazing and who loves them. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're going to spend 2017 doing what? What are we going to do? We're going to sow. Look at y'all. A plus already. Already. My, my job today is to talk about the story of God. Now, I'm a little angry at Matt because this was the assignment that he gave me, and I didn't know how do you tell the story of God in one setting. And, uh, and I already get talked about because of the two of us, I am the long-winded one. And so, and then he gives me a subject on the story of God. Uh, so uh, whatever happens next, it's not my fault. That's what I'm going to say. Blame Matt, and he's not here, so when he returns next week, You all can get on him, all right? Okay, all right, all right. So real quickly, if you have your Bibles or your devices, open it up. Just going to go to the back of the book, man. This isn't even difficult to find. Go to the book of Revelation chapter 21, and we're going to read the first seven verses. Revelation 21, uh, verses 1 through 7. We're going to be reading from the English Standard Version. So, And, of course, it will be available for you on the screens. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. Here's here's what you'll find, John's vision as he's sharing. He says, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, verse 2, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Verse 6, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Now listen to this part right here. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Amen. 
Amen. I have a real silly title for the message today. Uh, let me read verse 6, the latter part of it again. He says, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. To the thirsty, I will give. You ever seen those commercials of the most interesting man in the world, the Dos Equis beer commercials? Y'all ever seen? Don't act like y'all don't watch TV, right? Right. To the thirsty, I will give. The commercials end every time with this simple, simple statement. Y'all know what it is? Stay thirsty, my friends. Stay <laughs> thirsty, my friends. The Lord says, God says, to the thirsty, I will give. To the thirsty, I will give. Now, now those commercials are silly. It's, a, it's about a beer and, and a beverage, and, and, and the most interesting man in the world, as he calls himself, or they call him, um, you know, it's, you know it's, it's okay. I don't like the new guy, by the way. I like the old dude, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> I thought about that as I was reading, and I was telling myself that, okay, this is, um, this is pretty good. Uh, I, I compared the two stories. You've got, this, you've got this drink that you can drink, and eventually you grow thirsty again. And you've got this guy who refers to himself as the most interesting man in the world. And he has just this beautiful resume, right? Right? Yeah. I mean, it says that, you know, just a number of things that he kicked a game-winning field goal when he was in high school uh, for professional sports. And he, um, you know, all the silly, you know, accolades that they give to him. And I'm like, man, that guy's pretty cool. He's pretty interesting. like him a lot. But then I thought about what we're talking about, and I thought about the story of God. Well, if the Dos Equis man is the most interesting man in the world, so to speak, God and his story has to be the most interesting story in the world. The most interesting story, the most interesting that we've ever heard of, that we've ever acknowledged. There's nothing, absolutely nothing like it that we can think of. We read, my daughter loves fan fiction. She loves fiction books, period. And she talks to me all the time about stuff that I, I don't know the characters, I don't know the stories, but they sound real cool to her and she loves it. I love fictional movies. I love, I love superheroes. I love comic book movies. I'll be one of the first ones at the theaters. I'll go and I'll see them and I'll stand, man. I love, I love Thor. Love Thor. I love Spider-Man. He's my favorite. I, I, love, I know the story of Spider-Man. I can tell you Peter Parker's history. I know his parents' names. I know, I know so much about those stories. I love those, and I am I'm fascinated with them. But no matter how much I read those stories, none of them ever compare to the story of God and the story of man's redemption and salvation that only comes through Jesus Christ and him alone. I'm fascinated. We are fascinated with so many things, but those things oftentimes don't compare at all to the story of God. Now, in order for this to make sense, rather than starting in the book of Revelation, if it's okay with you, I want to flip back to the first book. And then we'll end at the closing book, the final book. In order to understand the story of God, it begins simply in Genesis chapter 1. You know the story, the creation story. You'll find this in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read this from the message translation because I love the way that it's worded. First, this. God created the heavens and earth. All you see, all you don't see. Heaven was a soup, or earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded or hovered like a bird above the watery abyss. This is just talking about, man, before all that we see, it was nothing but God and, and that much the heavens and the earth as he was there. And he just kind of hovered above it. If you've ever been like to a big lake or to an ocean, as you see the seagulls just kind of hovering above and seeing the God, the God, the spirit of God just kind of hovered above his creation. 
And then, you know, some of you are familiar with the remainder of that story, the creation story. He creates the heaven and the earth pretty soon. He creates, uh, you know, the land. He creates the seas, the animals. And then, you know, he created finally the creme de la creme, the, the greatest portion of his creation, which was you and I, his, his people. And he looked at the earth, he looked at the heavens, he looked at all that he was created, and he looked at his, his people, he looked at his creation, and God looked at all of it, and he says, man, that's very good. I, I like what I see. That's very, I love my creation. It was beautiful, it was pure, it was holy. God looked at all of it and said, man, I, I did, I'm going to pat myself on the back. I did a good job with those people. I did a good job with my creation." The things were great, right? So you flip a couple of chapters and you make your way to chapter 3 and then what you'll find is the first sin recorded there. You know, Adam and his bride Eve, they were there in the garden. They were tempted by the serpent and they ate of the one forbidden tree in the garden that God told them to stay away from. I understand how sin plays a role. God gave them an entire garden and said, listen, all of this belongs to you. Just, just don't take this one thing, right? Yeah, you can have everything that exists here. Just listen, kind of stay away. This one right here is mine. You ever have that? You ever grow up in that type of household? Yeah, listen, I didn't, but I had an aunt. I had an aunt. I love her to death, but when you went over her house, um, uh, some of you all maybe didn't grow up like I did, but there was, uh, there used to be this grocery store around here called Winn-Dixie. All right, Winn-Dixie. Winn-Dixie had these, uh, these cookies. They were literally called Big 60s. Big, big 60s. There were six, literally 60 cookies in a pack, and they tasted like nothing but baked dough. No, I mean, listen, baked, they were chocolate, and they were, they were never crunchy. They were always chewy. I don't know. Big 60s. My aunt would say, listen, um, you guys, don't touch my Oreos. You all eat the big 60s. You got to eat that. I hated going over there because I didn't want the big 60s. It's kind of like that, but God wasn't as mean as my aunt. God's like, listen, I'm going to give you everything that you need, want, and some. You've got the garden. You've got the animals. You've got all of this creation. Stay away from this one thing, and you know the story. The serpent tempted Eve, and Eve sinned, and Adam sinned against God. And for the first time, the sin virus entered the earth. I, I like talking about sin as a virus because I think that's one of the easiest ways to illuminate the impact of sin. It's a, it's a virus. It spreads throughout of something. It, it, it moves. It permeates through people, through systems. It changes things. It's, it's a virus thing. I, I thought about this. Um, in the year 2000, some of you all re may remember, there was a virus that went through the American computer systems called the love bug. And it started like this. There was one lady who opened an email, and it was simply entitled, I love you. And she clicked on that, that email, and it almost shut down the entire government and economy, the love bug. Now, you know, that was pretty cool. I mean, if it were me, if I were to see that email, I perhaps would click on it. You know, that, that could be romantic, perhaps somebody who was pursuing them. I mean, it really wasn't. You know, it wasn't that she was trying to do anything to hurt the government, right? It's, it was appealing to her, right? It felt good to her. And so she clicked on something that was appealing, that felt good to her, that intrigued her, not knowing that what she was doing was opening up to something that could kill. Well, that's what sin does to us. 
Sin, sin we, we think of sin as, as, as things that we don't ultimately like. And I love this. George used to say this all the time. He says, listen, sometimes as church people, we get too sanctified and holy that we act like we don't like to sin. Yeah, we, we act like, but the reality is, is that for most of us, we enjoyed it. That's why we kept doing it, right? Because it was fun. It, it looked good. It smelled good. It tasted good. It felt good. Like it was good to us. All of our sensibilities were kind of lost on the inside of it, not knowing that that very thing that looked, smelled, tasted good, felt good to us was constantly separating us from God. And what happened is that humanity got so far from God, God was used to still hovering amongst his creation and being with us until finally God could no longer find us. So he comes back to the garden and he says, listen, Adam, where are you? I don't know where you are. You've, you've lost yourself. I've lost you. You've given yourself over to something that is not supposed to be, and I can't locate you anymore. Where, where are you? And so for the rest of our time, what you discover is you'll see essentially God putting together a plan to find us. I know we like to say, man, listen, you know, since I found God, well, let me let you know something. God was never lost. We were. We are. We are the ones who lose our way. God, God has been the same yesterday. He's the same today, and he will be the same forevermore. We were the ones who lost. God finds us, and God has been putting together the plan since this day, the first day of sin, this virus has it spread from one person to the next. You want to know the one thing about sin as a virus? is it not only does it spread from one person to the next, but you can have that virus living on the inside of you. You won't even know it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember um, I, I used to always get uh, picked on because I have dimples. And um, let me let you moms know something. When your boys grow up, believe it or not, they don't think that it's cute that you think their dimples are cute so that you can pinch their cheeks. It's really not all that cool. Plus, you know, it disrespects my gangsters. So don't pick, no, my cheeks. Um... But I remember being in science class, and I remember my teacher telling me that dimples were, in fact, a birth defect. Now, for my entire life, people told me, man, it's so cute you got dimples. And as a kid, I was like, yeah. And when I got gangsta, I was like, no, nah, man, you know, they're cute, but uh, admire them from afar. Uh, but, you know, feeling that, that sense of condemnation. When my science teacher tells me we love them, but they come from a birth defect, I started thinking about that. Like, how could something that people seem to admire so much be something that is, in fact, a defect? Well, that's the same thing with sin. Oftentimes, we celebrate, accept, and we look at things that we think, okay, man, that's, that's okay. Like, it's okay. And it's been passed from generation to generation, and we think that everything's okay. I, I'm, this is me. You know, God, God made me, this is me, so it's, it's all right. Everybody ought to be able to accept that God should be cool. And God's like, listen, I, I get it. I want you to know my child, but I want you to know that right now, I, I can't locate you. I can't, I can't find you. So we, we have this journey throughout Scripture of God trying to put together a plan to rediscover his community. He wants us back. He wants his people back. He's trying to find us. You know the story, man, um, you go through and he, he creates this law, this law, this law. The law wasn't there to help us to become righteous. Ultimately, we discover in Romans that the law was given to us to show that we could not be righteous. 
that no matter how much we do, no matter how hard we work, there's absolutely nothing that we could do to fix this problem ourselves. It cannot be done by us alone. And we were sent, man, kings and prophets, and we killed the kings. We killed the prophets. They disobeyed God. They proved that they couldn't get it done. And we sacrificed animals year after year because the only way that this sin could be rectified, the only way it could be healed is if some blood was shed. And so for decades and decades and thousands of years, humanity was working hard trying to follow laws trying to slay the proper animal hoping that we could be able to fix the sin issue in our lives and we discover finally there is nothing that we can do and I love it I love it Paul Paul says and when I think about it so much I recognize oh wretched man am I I'm, I'm just wretched. There's nothing that I could do, but I love it if you flip over. That's the end of chapter 7. You flip over to chapter 8, and Paul says, you know what? I'm a wretched person, but there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul then points out the solution and how God fixed the sin issue inside of us so that you and I could be closely connected to him again. And finally, after we slayed all the bulls, all the goats, all the lambs that we could, all the pigeons and the doves after we've done every bit that we could possibly do trying to follow the law to a T God sent Jesus and on one day on Calvary's cross on a hill called Golgotha the perfect lamb was slain so that you and I could have life and so that the bond between man and God could be regained but that wasn't the end of the story because if you remember in Genesis, when creation began, God and man spent time together. God hovered above his creation. God and Adam walked together in the cool of every single day. And what we're about to find out is that God wants that back. He wants that back. And so what happens, and if you, you don't mind, here's what I'd like to do. Um, I, I'm going to walk through these scriptures. And... Um, I don't want to um, I don't want to do a whole lot of trying to interpret it. I just want to share with you clearly. So I'm just going to walk through these seven scriptures real quickly, or the first five of them, and then first six, I'm going to tell you our responsibility. Is that okay? Like, I don't want to muddy it. I want you to be very clear about what God, because I think John does a good enough job that he doesn't really need my help. Is that okay? All right, so here's what happened. Here's what happened. We're going back to the first verses, verses 1 through 7. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth, first earth had passed away. Here's what he's talking about. Uh, he's talking about the fact that God looked at creation and says, you know what, boom, I'm going to wipe it clean. I'm going to get rid of everything because sin, the virus of sin, has affected all of my creation. That's heavens and earth as well. Now, also note this, that when he's talking about heavens, he's not talking about paradise. He's talking about the sky, the sky, the cloud, where, where the, the places where we can see. So God says, listen, um, all that's gone. I'm going to wipe all of that away, and I'm going to give you something that's completely new. Uh, uh, when you really break it down, what he's talking about right now is it's the word of paradise is broken down as Eden. I'm going to give you Eden again. I'm going to give you the creation again the way that I originally intended for you to have it. Where everything that you need exists there, where there is purity, where life can grow, where there, you know, everything that you need is going to be there again. I'm going to restore those things to you. But then John says in verse 2, and I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of the heaven from God, 
prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's, that's a beautiful picture right there. What you got to see is that the holy city, New Jerusalem, is not talking about a location. It's talking about God's people. And so John's saying this holy city that he sees coming down is you and I. And he used this, this language of the wedding. He says, as a bride beautifully adorned, dressed on her wedding day. Now, there, there, there are beautiful moments. There aren't many as beautiful as that of seeing a bride when she enters the sanctuary and she's walking down to meet her groom. There's some precious moments, but that's one of the most precious moments that we'll ever see. I, I still remember mine. I still remember that day. I can tell you when it was. It was September 29, 2001 at 4 p.m. at New Horizon Full Gospel Baptist Church, 2202 Dixie Highway, Louisville, Kentucky, 40212. <laughs> I remember that day. I remember when I saw my bride walk down the aisle. And I remember how overwhelmed I was that I could do nothing else but cry, not because I was scared, because I knew this was God's plan. There are very few moments in life that are as precious as that. And God says, I can't wait for that day to where I can look at you and say, man, there's my people. Dress the way that I always expected, sin-free, redeemed, fully uh, brought back to me. This is, this is the day that I live for. We know that to be true because when you read verse 3, God then speaks up and he testifies. And he says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. God said, listen, once he recognizes or he sees and he dreams about that wonderful day where you and I will be re reunited with him, God speaks up and said, this is the way that it's supposed to be. This is what I always hoped for. This is why I created you. I created you so that you could be with me as your God and I could be with you. This is what I've thought about. Since creation, that thing was ruined. And God's like, I, I live for that. I look for that to happen again. And then in verse 4, he says, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Now, when you read that, it, it, it appears as though uh, Jesus was saying, or God was saying, he's going to pull out his holy handkerchief and he's, he's going to wipe away the tears from your faces. But that's, that's not true. In order to understand what he's saying, you've got to read what he talks about afterwards. He says, he's going to wipe away every tear from your eyes. But recognize what he says then. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. And the former things have passed away. I can take and wipe the tears from the eyes of my crying child. Humanity can do that. What God is talking about that he's going to display is something that humanity cannot do. He's going to wipe away the tears from our eyes by wiping away the things that create tears in our eyes. So God says, I am going to eliminate death because I don't want you to mourn anymore. 
And I'm going to eliminate your pain because I'm sick of my children hurting. He's going to do the things that humanity itself cannot do. God says, I don't want you to pain. I don't want you in pain. I don't want you to hurt. I don't want your tears. So what I'm going to do is what man cannot do. I'm going to remove from you those things that hurt you, those people that hurt you, those situations, that sickness and that disease. God says, I'm going to wipe those things out. And he says, and behold, I will make all things new. I'll make it new. I'll give you a new life. I'll give you a new beginning. And he who was seated on the throne, God says, Behold, I am making all things new. Write these down, for these things are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. God says, Um... I'm God, so when I say these things, it's done. Although we don't see it right now, it has no choice but to happen because he's God. Because whenever he speaks, things happen. God said, I wanted the world. He said, let there be earth, and it happened. He said, let there be light, and it happened. He said, let there be humanity, and it happened. God said, it is done. He said, this is a promise that you can bet the farm on. You can bet your life on this will happen. It is done. Why is it done? Because I'm God. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. Because I am God, I will make these things happen for you. It is done. Consider this promise done for you. So John paints this beautiful picture, y'all, of, his, of God's hope and expectation for you and I, that we would be rejoined to God, that we would be purified, that he would wipe away things from us, that he would give us a new beginning. God said, this is, this is what I'm working towards in this story. But he recognizes where we are. He understands that right now that's a future promise and something that we cannot yet obtain. So we are living in the already not yet, right? I I can't obtain that yet. It's not present yet. So God says, let me give you some instructions on what to do until that day comes. Here's what you do, which is our key verses here. In verse 6 is the latter part. It says, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be as God, and he will be my son. God says, to the thirsty and to those who conquer, this is the heritage that you have coming. Stay thirsty, my friends. To, to the thirsty, to the thirsty. He's, he's literally talking about when he says the words thirsty and the conquerors. To those of you who desire the relationship with God. And to those of you who experience the pain and the problems of life, God says, keep seeking me, stay thirsty. And to conquer, just wake up every day. Because you can't, you can't fix it. It's, it's not like you can just flip a switch where things can change. So God says, listen, keep pursuing me. Just keep trying to grow in me. Keep learning more about me. Stay thirsty, my friends. When you stay thirsty and if you wake up, what I want you to know God is saying is I'll consider that something, man, prideful. I'll consider that righteous. Stay thirsty and keep waking up. Every time somebody does something bad towards you or evil towards you, God says, wake up tomorrow and just keep trying to go again. Place your hope and your faith in me, and I will keep you. I will strengthen you, and I'll make sure that this story will be your heritage and that you will be my people, and I will be your God. And so this story, I'm about to take my seat, is essentially 
about recognizing, I used the, the phrase, the already not yet, that even though we don't always feel like it, we are walking in victory. The story of God is this. God never fails. God has a plan, and God has included you and I in his plan. And victory is ours. And God's hope for his people is that his people will begin to live as though that victory has already happened. Um, I, I'll end with this. Uh, when I was a junior in high school, uh, I played football, and I, uh, I, it was a game, and I, I sprained my ankle real bad. Um, I mean, it, it swole up, you know, pretty tremendously. And uh, I played most of the game. It was in the fourth quarter when it happened. And, um, and I ended up being on crutches and having a soft cast on my foot. It was a, it was a pretty bad ankle sprain. And, uh, and I remember, man, just being essentially almost depressed the entire weekend because it was in the middle of the season, and I knew that I was going to miss some games, and, and I was struggling because of that. But I remember that Monday going to practice and going to watching film, and, uh, and I remember my coach saying these very words, and it encouraged me as I was trying to get healed through the rest of the process. He says, uh, Jamel, listen, I know that you're injured, and I know that you're hurt, and I can see it in your face that you're struggling with this injury, but I want you to know that, um, yeah, the game that you got injured in, we won that game. And the sacrifice that you made with your body, helped us to get to the victory because we were about to lose. But because you sacrificed yourself, we won. So thank you for your sacrifice because you giving of yourself helped us to walk into this weekend victorious. And I thought about that conversation between my coach and myself about 20 years ago now, and I think about how God is speaking to us through his words. He's saying, listen, I know that you're injured by life. And I know that you're suffering because of the problems that's going on. And I know that you watch television and the news. You look on media and see how things are. And I understand the pain that is coming to you. But what I want you to do is I want you to wake up every day knowing that the sacrifice that you are making to live the life that I have promised for you, the sacrifice will not go unnoticed. Because even though sickness may overcome you, even though pain may come inside of your life, I want you to know that you've got the victory. Even though there is poverty in the streets and children are dying in the streets, I know it looks bleak, but I want you to know that God has a plan and you are walking in victory. And one church, as we are planning for this year and moving into this new, new, new phase of our life as a church, God is saying he sees the pain that we've experienced in 2016. He knows about the broken relationships. He understands about the things that we have to experience to be where we are today. But God sees the pain and he's got a plan. And whether or not you know it, what you've experienced before is always conditional so that you can make it to where God is preparing to take you. So sometimes you got to take the lumps so that you can make the progress. Sometimes you got to lose people because people can be dead weight. And sometimes you've got to press forward even though you don't always understand why you're doing it. So God says, stay thirsty. Keep praying. Keep reading. Come to church. Join a small group. Get involved. Serve at Family Scholar House. Show up at 1212. Do what you need to do. Stay thirsty. And wake up. And I promise you, that what I prophesied in your life, it will happen.
It will happen. God says, it is done. Why? Because he's God. And every time he speaks, it happens. In fact, Scripture says that God is not a man that he shall lie. I used to get confused about that as a kid. Um, because I'm like, well, if he's God, can he lie? I mean, it makes sense to me. God can do whatever he wants. If he wants to lie, he can lie. But then when I began to understand God, I, I, I get it, that when God says it, he can't lie because whatever comes out happens. So God says, it's done. I've laid it out for you. This is the hope that is yours. I want you to wake up every day believing this. And this promise is yours. Stay thirsty. And you've got to do what for 2017? Man, what I tried to lay out for you today is that we have a reason to sow, and that's because God has sown into us for millennia. Because he desires a right relationship with us. We, we spin it around and we think that it's us. No, God desires the relationship. And he's put together this plan so that we could be reunited with him. That's, that's God's plan. That's his hope. That you would be his child and that he would be your God. So um, that's all I got for you today. Um, I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Where's Joy? Joy, come on up. She's going to give us some instructions too. There's a couple of things that we're going to do um, just as we are preparing to sow. Um, so, so, so. Um, we are... We are going to receive communion, um, and every time we take communion, we are recognizing that God has sown into us. Um, his body that was broken on Calvary's cross, that was Jesus sowing into our future, and his blood that was shed, that was Jesus sowing into our salvation, into our future. So every time you do that, you're recognizing the plan of God has been activated. And so in your own time, uh, Joy is going to give you some instructions and then pray. And you're going to receive the cup and the bread that represents the broken body and the blood that was shed. Uh, but then there's also something else that we want you to do. And so we want to take a little bit of time if it's okay. Uh, if it takes too long for you, I understand. Uh, but we want to try to get this inside of you so that you understand that we're not just speaking about this as something that we hope that you grasp metaphorically. We want to give you a reminder that every day you recognize that our mission as God's people is to sow. So 